Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are joined by my colleagues, Brett Hornig and Leah Yingling, for a preview episode of the 2022 Speedgoat 50K. We talk about big changes to the race this year. We analyze the course profile and conditions, provide some commentary on both the men's and women's fields, and of course, announce our free trail picks for the race. One note before we get started, this episode and this entire pre-race interview series is brought to you by Kodiak Cakes. Use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. With that, let's get started. We are back with another preview episode. This time we are covering the Speedgoat 50K race, which is taking place this coming Saturday, July 23rd at the Snowbird Ski Resort. I'm joined by my normal partner in crime, Brett Hornig, but we also have Leah Yingling joining the podcast. And for those of you that aren't familiar, Leah is obviously one of the best runners in our sport right now. But perhaps more importantly for this episode, uh, she's one of the best fantasy free trailers in the game right now. She just won the Broken Arrow Sky Race weekend, and I'm pretty sure she's beaten Brett and I every single time it's ever been a thing. So we figured this isn't if you can't beat them, join them scenario. Leah, it's great to have you on. Do you want to just give a quick background to any listeners that might not be familiar? Yeah, thanks, Finn, for having me. I'm excited to uh, do some research for Speedgoat and join you guys today. Um, so yeah, I live in Salt Lake City and I'm a trail and ultra runner here and I run for Solomon and I love everything about ultra running, especially following along with the sport, um, and doing some race predictions. So happy to be here. Right on. And Brett, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Um, yeah, confidence trying to get it back after a lousy showing in the hard rock predictions. Um, yeah, it's really not, I'm not the greatest at this. I gotta, I gotta get I got to figure some things out. So this is going to be a learning episode for me. One thing I should note for anybody that's ever watched, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, Brett, your, your choice of shirts always reminds me of, of Mac. He always has like the most ironic shirts on. And I think your current shirt is an ode to that photo of Killian Jornet and Kyle Skaggs that I run far posted. Yes. Yes. This is one of, this might actually be Kyle's shirt. I don't know. I got it's a hamney down from David Laney after he stopped working at the store, and he might have gotten it from one of the Skaggs brothers. So, uh, I'm I'm just gonna go with that story. Um, yeah, it's cool to see Kyle out at Hard Rock, uh, pacing and rocking some old RVR gear. I've never gotten to meet him. Uh, I met his brother uh, Eric a bunch of times. Uh, but yeah, I've heard some great just training stories about Kyle and just the massive volume and vert that he was putting up during his time in Ashland. Right on. Well, just to give the audience a quick outline of what we plan to cover, I think we're going to talk a bit about big changes at the race this year, especially with UTMB's involvement. Given that sky running seems to be experiencing renewed interest in the U.S. with Broken Arrow taking on a more prominent role in the scene, the rut, etc., we figure we'll talk about Speedgoat in that context as well. We'll move on to course and conditions at Speedgoat. We'll talk about any interesting storylines we see. And then, of course, we will make our predictions for both the women's and the men's field. I think that we're going to go three, maybe five deep on each side. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's get into it. Brett Earlier, whoever wants to take it, should we talk about the big changes this year with you? Yeah, totally. So this is the first year that it's going to be speed of 50k i guess 28k and 50k by utmb right and uh 
Is Carl Meltzer still the official race director for this year? Yes, and I believe he will be for the next three years, three plus years, is okay. the agreement they've come to. Correct. Yeah, I was wondering what that like phase out was going to be like. Cause it was a similar situation with uh, Chaz over at the Canyons 100K. Um, yeah, I guess my bad. I have like my biggest questions are like what what will this race be like in three years from now? Uh, once who, whoever it is has full creative control over the race. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation too because for those people who visited Canyons last year and then Canyons this year, it seemed to be a pretty pronounced difference between the two years. Um, but I would say Speed Goat is a little different in that it has a little bit more of a storied history. I think Carl's been mm. race directing it for nearly 15 years and it's historically brought a really competitive field, whereas Canyons didn't really have that established uh, history to it. So I think that'll be an interesting dichotomy to think about with the direction that Speed Goat heads in these next couple years. Um, but I think with the UTMB acquisition of it, I'm sure there's a lot of people coming to the race for different reasons. So some who want to acquire these very interesting running stones that'll get them into the UTMB lottery. Um, so I think Speed Goat this year is offering two running stones if you complete the 50K, is that right? I think so. Yeah, and the 28K. Uh, they're both two running stones. Okay. Four running stones if you double and do both. Wow. Which I guess makes sense because that's just two stones on each day. I have a question. Are all running stones created equal? Like, if you, let's just say you wanted to do the UTMB, the full 100 miler. If you just have, like, enough stones, does that put you in the lottery for that race? That's how I perceive the literature on the website. Okay. Is that, does that seem correct? I think so. That seems correct to me. So, uh, I feel like everybody feels the exact same way that we all feel right okay. now about the website yeah. and <laughs> how we feel about it, but I think that's right. Yeah, like it sounds like you can collect as many stones as you want prior to the lottery. The more stones, the better, because each stone is like a lottery ticket. So, I mean, you could theoretically, if you have the, the, the personal funding to do so, you could go fly yourself to like five or six different of these races <laughs> and go get 25 or 30 stones and almost guarantee yourself into UTMB. Well, let me ask this question. Maybe Leah, I'll address it to you first. I know there's a big debate going on in our community about these larger brands taking over events and UTMBs in that conversation. Are you generally in favor of this this takeover of Speedgoat by UTMB? Do you think it's going to be a net good for the race, or what's your position there? I do think it will be a net good for ultra running in general. I say that with recognizing the fact that it probably won't be great immediately. I think there's going to be a few years of kinks that need to be worked out and for us to really see the benefit um, and to really see the competition at these races. But at the very least, I think it'll be good for the elite side of, um, of races. I, I don't know. I think there's pros and cons for the rest of the field. But I do think um, the stones makes it a little bit more like straightforward and maybe easier for people to make it into the lottery um, and maybe a more straightforward path than in the past of just banking on the lottery. Yeah, totally. The biggest pro I see is like the barrier to entry to potentially getting into UTMB as someone who lives in the U.S. is a little bit easier. You know, you don't necessarily have to fly to Europe twice or three yeah. times to get into UTMB. So, you know, I see some, you know, 
I see a lot of benefit there in that regard. But I guess the other big kind of con is like we're getting very vertically integrated within the UTMB brand. It's interesting too because like yes, there's UTMB races here in the U.S. now, but they're in the West and mm. we haven't seen anything on the East mm-hmm. yet. So there's also that conversation of, okay, we're bringing opportunity here to the U S but where in the U S the West where there's already like a pretty concentrated amount of races and a concentrated amount of elite runners. So if we really want to make it an, a more open opportunity, um, we should bring a race like this to the mm. coast, for example. Mm. One other question I had for both of you, and I'm trying to think about a phrase is typically in years past speed goat has been used as like a final training tool or training piece for a race like UTMB. So in that sense, my perception has been, it's always been sort of like a B race and slightly an afterthought on the elite athletes calendar. Does this new rebranding by UTMB change any of that? Does it become like a focus race for a lot of athletes? By the way, am I totally wrong in even assuming that it's not already at that caliber? I think that looking at the past competition in this race, I don't think the branding by UTMB attracted any different runners than it would have before UTMB uh, took ownership of it. Like, I think the same entrants we're seeing this year are the same, very similar caliber entrants we've seen in past years. Um, I think over the history of the race, it actually used to be quite a bit more competitive. I think there might have been a little bit more prize money in it a few years back. So I think we saw competition at a really high level um, probably over five years ago at the race, and then it declined for a couple years. And then Mm. I think we might be on that upswing for sure. But I do agree with you with the thought. It is kind of an afterthought. Like, I know we could probably go down this entrance list and list off the runners who are using this as a tune-up for both CCC and UTMB or another UTMB race. So in some degree, it is a training race for a lot of these athletes. Yeah, totally. It also seems almost like a uh, like a litmus test of sorts for a lot of these younger maybe trail runners who are seeing where they stack up in some of these harder like sky running ultras uh, speedgoats always I mean it's got such a a big history of just these are these people they're very good they ran this time I should probably do this race to see if I even have a chance of being in the conversation of being this caliber. Um, so it, and yeah, kind of like what you said, Leah, there seems to be a little bit of like a resurgence in kind of, I don't know if it's young talent, new talent coming back to this race. Um, but I think a lot of that is because of how competitive it was five, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, then I guess that opens up the conversation for these you know, newer, younger runners of like, oh, well, if I do this, then maybe I should go run OCC or CCC and see how I would do in Europe. Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great stepping stone for a race that you need stones to run. Leah, you said something super interesting there about how, you know, maybe earlier in the 2010s, there were slightly better fields because the prize purses were bigger. And that's interesting to me because it's amazing how quickly the tides can turn for an entrance list depending on the right or the wrong incentives. So we wonder what's going to happen to this race two, three years from now. And it's like flipping a switch, right? Like maybe next year it could be like the most popular race in the U.S. if like X, Y, and Z factors are, are met. You know, yeah, that's interesting. I think about this a lot, especially with Run Rabbit, which has like the largest prize purse in the U.S. for a race. And I think the fact that UTMB 
kind of conflicts in some degree with that race. Um, we haven't seen that really reach its capacity in recent years in terms of like the best of the best being there. Um, so I'm curious if, yeah, really if competition yeah. does follow prize money. Brad, I know you've spent a couple different years at the Canyons 100K course. Leah, you had back-to-back years racing it. So you've seen the before and after of UTMB investment. Can you guys talk about some things that looked different, um, you know, but in the before and after? I mean, yeah, there was, I mean, so I ran it two years ago and then I spectated it this year. And I mean, I guess, yeah, definitely there's a lot more UTMB wording. There is equally as much, if not even more, Hoka wording because it was Canyons sponsored by Hoka, presented by UTMB. Um, you know, the biggest change being those like giant Hoka lightsabers, those inflatable things. There's like thousands of them all over the place. And I mean, I guess when you add things like that, it, 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 it just makes everything feel grander. Um, I don't know if it was a like by UTMB choice, but I think the new start of the canyons this year was really cool starting in downtown Auburn yeah. and running straight through the streets before dropping into the trails that kind of gave it that uh, kind of really big trail race type feel uh, yeah Leah what do you think yeah I, you hit the nail on the head I was going to say like if you ran canyons this year and didn't know it was sponsored by Hoka <laughs> then there's something wrong with you because Hoka was everywhere it was lining the course like for the whole last half mile at least with the big like blow up everything so there was a lot of uh, hoka representation in that respect and another thing i would add that i felt was quite different was just the media coverage around it was a little bit mm-hmm. it was improved from last year for sure with both being golden ticket races and whatnot both years um that element seemed to be uh invested in a little bit more this year i would say for sure um yeah, it was it was definitely like a bigger UTMB race feel, like a lot of energy at the start line, mm. a lot of energy at the finish line. Um, and I think that is due to the transition. Leah, I don't know if you've had a chance to get out on the Speedgoat course in the last couple of days, but they're already starting to put up the UTMB flagging and like the Hoka flagging. And I think there's like a, even a couple of Hoka inflatables on the course. Like as I was going up the Cirque Traverse there, you could see some of it and I kind of got goosebumps. It was kind of cool to see like UTMB is here. And like, I'm sure a couple of people that I saw out on the course were like Hoka officials imported from France. And it was just, it was cool. Yeah, that's, it's funny. Um, what I think is pretty hilarious with the race because I am currently on the entrance list though. I'm not racing. So I'm getting all of the pre-race emails and I, something that is different that we haven't really touched on is how UTMB is trying to attract to the masses. So they're really trying to sell Salt Lake City in these emails, which is interesting. They're boasting it as like this great city with fine dining options and like tons to do. And like Salt Lake's a cool city. I mean, kind of. But nobody comes to Salt Lake City for the city. And I think UTMB is really leaning into that. And even like the images they use, things like that, it's really interesting. So I think they're trying to make more of an experience around it than Carl I mean, Carl never did anything right. like that. And like, I mean, right. he probably didn't, doesn't need to. So I think that's a really interesting element too that I've noticed that's quite different. Oh yeah. I guess, you know, I guess I don't do a good job of reading any of those emails, but did they do something similar mm-hmm. for Auburn? Propping up canyons? They did. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Cool. I guess There's not much the one Auburn. spot where... Cool. Very cool. I guess yeah, two thoughts. The first one is like, 
UTMB could potentially make Speedgoat a really like a bigger thing than the canyons in my mind because the start and finish is in the same place. Um, there's just only so much you can do yeah. when the start and the finish line are 100 kilometers apart, like at the canyons. Like they made this big giant interesting festival type start at the canyons. They had all the merch things to buy, but then they didn't, you know, truck all that up to the finish. Um, you know, once it's used and everyone's gone, they're like, okay, we're we're done with Auburn. Now we're gonna go to the finish area. Um, whereas something mm. like Speedgoat, you could build it twice as big because you get to use it twice at the finish. Yeah, that's a real. That's another really good point. Yeah. Well, I was standing on top of Hidden Peak yesterday, which is where the first and last aid stations are positioned in. I mean, Leah, you know this view. Like, you look out towards Mill Canyon and where the Wasatch 100 course goes, and maybe I'll throw this question out to both of you. Is there any chance as this race spends more time under the UTMB brand, they uh, add, like, a 50-mile or 100K distance into the mix? And is it possible, and do you guys think it makes sense? I think it's possible, Um, and I do think it makes sense. Like, I think the Wasatch deserves a race that showcases what the Wasatch actually is. And honestly, I don't think Speedgoat does that. I don't think Wasatch 100 does that. I think we're missing the mark in so many ways on showcasing the Wasatch Mountains. Um, So I think we could do that with a longer race at Speedgoat. Um, And I don't think it's... I do think it's possible because you look at canyons this year, which I think is a perfectly great 100K and no need to really expand upon that distance. And like they're offering a 100 miler, which is really interesting. Um, Don't know the logic behind it, but it's an interesting decision. So I don't think it's outside their scope by any means. Like I think it, I would probably say they would consider it. I bet it's in their five-year plan. Or I bet it's in their one-year plan. I bet it. I bet they announce it the day after Speedgoat, just like they did with Canyons. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I guess may, maybe it's a hot take, but I, I think that 100-mile course that they added at Canyons is horrible. Um, it's, it's it, I don't know if it's they think they're actually going to get like 1,000 people to sign up for it and it's just a UTMB money grab, or it is just an opportunity. Well, it, it's definitely an opportunity for people to go get more running stones, but... You know, when you just do the 100K course plus a little bit of the way too cool course and then an out and back to swinging bridge, like it just, for me, that doesn't like check the boxes mm. on a course that would really motivate me to go 100 miles on foot. It doesn't sound like that's a problem though over in the Wasatch uh, and you could create a really incredible course. Um, which had me thinking, I was like, what if UTMB accidentally like cannibalizes their main race in uh, Chamonix because they accidentally create, you know, say the Speedgoat 50K turns into what they want OCC to be. What if Speedgoat ends up being the 50K World Championships by UTMB that's and really not interesting. OCC because they're like, oh shoot, we accidentally bought something that's incredible, perhaps even better than our main race. That's a good hot take. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one more question on this front. We did crowdsource some ideas for this episode and we did a poll on Instagram. And I think I asked something pretty basic, like which race is the hardest speed goat 
the rut broken arrow i actually got a lot of hate mail for even including broken arrow on the list it really came down to the rut and speed goat but do we want to talk for a second about where speed goat fits into this sort of mountain west sky running scene and just how each of you think about it in those terms i love this conversation um because i don't think broken arrow should be in the category of speed goat and the rut um however I do think there's a place for both types of races, and my argument is that Tim Tollefson's Mammoth Trail Fest and Broken Arrow are going to be very similar style races and similar experiences in the coming years, and they kind of check the exact same boxes when we think about these types of sky races, so a little bit less verdy, maybe slightly less technical, um, whereas Speedgoat and The Rut are certifiably very hard mountain 50Ks. Um, that like are historically just tough Mm. Um, and tough for a variety of reasons. So I think I've been going back and forth in my mind this week about when we're talking about speed goat and which race is harder Um, because you can compare CRs on these courses. You can compare like top 10 finishing times and at face value, they're very similar. Um, The same big names have run both of these races and they've put down really fast times. I think Killian's done both and has run top 10 times in both of these races. Um, My argument is I do think they're equally hard. Um, I think the rut makes sense why it is hard and it's kind of like a beautiful, challenging hard. I think this, I think speed goat is stupid hard. Whereas like there's so many good things they could do up there and make it like just as challenging. However, Carl sends you down the worst way and like up the worst way of most of these mountains um, where there's, there's not an existing trail and you're like, he wouldn't do that. And then he does. Um, so I, that's why I think speed good is hard because it's more of like that mental, um, aspect of challenge. Whereas the rut, it's like, yeah, up on a ridgeline, that's scary. And then you're sent down a scree field. Of course that's hard. Whereas speed goat is like, where's this trail? So speed goat might be more difficult from an actual, like racing this course, like training for it, preparing for it. Whereas the rut's like, I might fall and roll down this mountain a couple thousand feet, which doesn't really pertain to actually being good at running or not. And Broken Arrow doesn't, yeah, Broken Arrow doesn't fall into the category of either of those. I mean, it's it's a difficult race, but I mean, I I live in the least technical trail running town on the planet, and I was able to go to Broken Arrow and like navigate the technicality just fine. Um, whereas I think if I tried to go and do that to speed out or the rut, I would probably struggle a lot. Well, maybe let's move on to the course itself and the conditions for this coming race day. And in general, we can just have a discussion about the specific demands that runners need to have prepared for to be successful. Lee, I think I'll go to you because even though I think we're both based in Salt Lake City, we've done some time on the course you've probably spent a little bit more time on it than I have. So if you could paint a picture of what runners are going to be expecting and facing on race day, what would you say? Yeah, I would say um, in general, like you're always going up or you're always going down on this course. You're rarely running flat and it's more often than not a pretty technical course to some degree uh, with the exception of when you're running on cat track at uh, Snowbird. So the race as a whole is runs slightly over 50K, so a little over 32 miles um, with somewhere between over 11,000 feet, but less than 12,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, minimum elevations around 7,800 feet. 
and maximum elevation is right around 11k um, up on Mount Baldy and you also hit 11k when you're up on Hidden Peak as well and the average elevation is 9300 feet so you are this is high altitude like you're up there and not only like and you're staying pretty high this entire race um, I think a challenge that not a lot of people talk about or prepare for is the heat um, of Utah in July. So despite existing at an average elevation of 9,300 feet throughout this race, there's a lot of this course where you are just like in the sun exposed and grinding it up a 4,000 foot climb in five miles. So I think that yeah. part of race preparation probably isn't taken too seriously from, from some athletes because they're just considering, you know, this is a mountain race. This is technical. This is hard. I'm preparing for these variables, but I think that one is kind of left to the wayside more often than not. And you're never, so you're, if I understand it correctly, you're never getting below 7,500 feet. So that's where it bottoms out at Pacific mine. And then you're touching either 11,000 feet or very close to it, at least three, maybe four times on the course. So you're spending most of the majority yeah. of your day between like nine and 10,000 feet, which also has its own unique demands in addition to the heat. It's crazy. Exactly. And I think like the most pleasant climbing um, where you're more shaded and it's cooler is actually in probably the first 10 miles of the race. Um, and this last 20 miles then are a lot more of the exposed, pretty hot, um, mm -hmm. just like loose, not very fun uh, climbing whenever it is in like the heat of the day for a lot of the athletes. Brett, let's say that David Laney tells you in early March that he's going to revolve most of his summer schedule around Speed Goat. Knowing what you know about this race and all the Strava files you've looked at, how are you getting him ready to be at peak performance? Like, what are you going to incorporate into his training to be ready for this race? I mean, well, the biggest thing that, I mean, is definitely more of a, a privilege if you are a professional runner is like spending time at altitude. You know, that's definitely the biggest one because you know you can train for this kind of vert at sea level or lower down but like if you're if you're not spending time at altitude and it shows in the results like anyone who has success at the very top of you know speed go like they're they're altitude people um and it's it's even more so than just living up there but like learning your efforts and how because the line between too easy too hard it's so much thinner at altitude um, and just being mm. up there, you really learn internally like where that is and how not to explode up there. So that would be, you know, one of the main things like we got to figure out altitude. Um, you know, if a lot of, you know, most people are not able to do that. Um, then, you know, then the next big thing is like figuring out how to get your body to cooperate throughout the demands of the course. Um, which actually, yeah, I had a question written down, which kind of goes back. So following Hard Rock this past weekend, uh, Dakota Jones made a move from Ure up to the engineer aid station, which was, I think, like a five-mile climb, and he put 11 minutes on Killian and Francois. And uh, yeah. it ended up, you know, on the very next descent, Killian and Francois ate like eight or nine minutes into that gap. And you know, then it kind of seemed like Dakota might have pushed a little bit too hard. And, um, yeah, I've been told that, you know, like something like Hard Rock, it's a course that's won on the descents and not necessarily on the climbs. How does Speed Goat fare in that regard? Like, 
Is it more beneficial for your strength to be in climbing or descending at a race like Speed Goat? That's a great question. I'll offer my opinion and then I'll go to Yulia. Personally, I think that this is a climber's race and I think that the most pivotal section of the course is coming out of Pacific Mine and making that long two-stage climb up Miller Hill what into the Mineral Basin. At? And then, yeah, that's, it's like mile 15 to okay. 23-ish. And then there's this last yes, yeah. bit of climbing. I mean, it must, I mean, Leah, it must be 35, 40% grade where you're climbing up the backside of Mount Baldy. And I have seen one person halfway up that climb get passed by three or four people that were like half a mile behind them at the start of that climb. So to me, it's that section, but I don't know, Leah, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm like looking at the course profile right now and it really is a climber's race. Like the first eight miles, you go up to Hidden Peak and you're climbing over. I mean, there's little punchers up and down in there, but you're gonna be at nearly 4,000 feet of elevation gain by the time you hit Hidden Peak at mile eight. Um, And you've still got a ways to go. Uh, And I think what Finn's mentioning is like, there's two very hard climbs. I mean, three very hard climbs late in the race. You have this long, gradual one. and you're running, like we said, somewhere in that eight to 9,000 feet of elevation. Like, I think personally for me, it's a lot easier to hike at altitude. Um, I think it's a lot more challenging to run at altitude. And I think a lot of these speedier athletes who come to Speedgoat, um, that's, a, that's a challenging section if you're not from altitude, because this is a right around mile 15 up to probably 18 or probably 19 here, yeah. 19 and a half where you should actually be running nearly all of that if you're competing. Um, so I think that makes or breaks people, and it starts to get really warm around that section. Um, so I do think it's a climber's race. However, I think there's a lot of tech, technical downhill sections that shouldn't be overlooked here. Um, but I, I do feel that this race really puts fast the faster of the groups and the mountain runners on a more even playing field. An example that comes to mind is last year's women's race, Ashley Brassavan won, who just has like pretty solid raw leg speed. And then Taylor Nowlin um, ended up in second place there. And she she moved up so much in the second half of the race. And like I would historically categorize her as a mountain runner. And it just went to show she nearly gained. I mean, she put so many minutes on Ashley by the end. I think she finished a few minutes behind her. But had that race been another two miles longer, she would have got her. So I think this race like Yes, fast athletes can do well because of the uphill nature of it. But I think okay. if you're a mountain runner, it puts you on a much more even playing field. That's a great point about Taylor. I think she did the exact same thing in 2019 as well. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think that's how you run this race if you don't have the raw leg speed. Brett, let me ask you a quick question because you said something earlier about the impact of altitude. I see a lot of people on this list, both on the women's side and the men's side, who I would categorize as strong competitive runners. They live on the East Coast, for example. Do you think that they're at a like a significant competitive disadvantage, even if they've been doing uh, course-specific training, like really rocky technical terrain and frequent ups and downs? Do you still think that like just the altitude is going to put them out of serious contention? I think so. I mean, unless you are just that good that you can afford to take a bit of a hit once you go up to altitude. But, you know, I, I'm, much, I'm, you know, I'm more familiar with like, the historical results of Broken Arrow, and we see a similar thing where, ever you know, in the top ten on the men's and women's sides, like near, like nearly all of them are like Colorado, Utah, 
Tahoe um, with like your occasional one or two from lower than five or six thousand feet and this course being higher than Broken Arrow you know it's just going to play more into the hands of someone who you know is better acclimated cool well I say we get to um, just looking at each each of the fields here the women's and the men's fields and maybe we start with the women's field Leah are there any um, A are there any interesting storylines that stick out to you in that part of the race and then B just generally how are you thinking about it in terms of depth and uh, and stuff like that yeah um, so I think to start off I know this is something we forgot to mention when we were chatting about UTMB but um, the top three male and females in this race will get into the UTMB World Series at OCC for 2023 so I think that is something I think it's like on the easier side for elites to get entry into the UTMB Mm -hmm. races but this is something that would be on the line for athletes who might not have all the stones and like all the races to get themselves to race themselves into UTMB next year. Um, and then I think for context, I wanted to talk a little bit about the course record and the top yes. 10 women's yep. times at speed goat. And then we could probably do the same for the men. Um, and this is actually an interesting storyline cause I'm curious where she was living at the time. Um, but Stephanie Howe has the women's course record in six seventeen. Um, Brett, I don't know if you have any context into where she was living when she, she said this, but this would be in, interesting if she, she was living at a lower altitude. In twenty thirty, which is, it, it's not, it's 3,000 feet. It's like the perfect in-between where you do hard workouts yeah. and you feel kind of crappy, but you don't actually get, like, altitude benefit from it. Also, Leah, this... Yeah, so this, uh, she has a really great blog post, rest in peace blog post, but she has a great blog post on this um, from when she set the course record. And I remember reading it last year. I haven't read it this year, um, but she documents it really well. And I think she was, you know, hitting five something miles and her last couple miles to the finish line when she set this course record and just had like an out of body experience and like a mind blowing day that completely surprised her when she ran it. So I think that's a really cool race to read back on because I think she just completely slaughtered it that day. Um, but among the women's top 10 times also include names like Anna Mae Flynn, Taylor Nowlin, Ruth Croft, Ashley Brassavan, and Michelle Hummel, which will now lead into kind of who I'm thinking about in this field um, this week. So for the women's side, I believe there's only two um, top 10 returners um, on the women's side from last year. And Michelle Hummel, she's one of them. And I believe she's been on the podium um, the last three times she's run it. So I think that might even be every time she's run it. Um, So I believe that Michelle Hummel is like the safest bet for a podium spot at Speed Goat. She's really solid. And um, I think she's even been like the U.S. snowshoe champion, things like that. So she's got a pretty storied history. Leah, could I ask you a quick question? I'm looking at Ultra Sign up here. Sorry to go back a little bit, but Anita Ortiz has the course record in 602. And it, this is a 14-year-old course record. So we talk a lot about what are some of the most stout records in our sport. I think I asked you offline if sub six hours on the women's side is ever possible here. Where do you rank this course record out of all of the course records at like premier events in our sport right now? Because it's, it's incredible to me. Well, yeah, I don't, I need to look into this because I don't know if that was a shortened course when Anita ran that time, or if it was a different course. Um, Because I believe when Stephanie ran that time, it was like established as the course record in 2013. Um, Because I think she's listed as the second fastest time on there. So I'm not sure if any of you can do some fast research and learn about this. Um, 
But so let's say it's 6.02, let's say it's 6.17. There's actually, that's 15 minutes. That's a pretty big difference. Um, when I think about the speed goat course record, I think this year it can be broken, mm. I believe. Um, I think breaking six hours is going to be pretty tough, though. I think it will be done in the coming years, but I don't know if I think this is the year that it will be done. But I do believe the course record okay. can and very well could be broken. Sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was fascinating. And she was 44 years old when she did it. Third overall that year. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Amazing. Um, Third overall. 543. What was what so, was the winning men's time? I think it was Kevin Schilling, who's like a, local, a Salt Lake yeah, City local, so, like kind of yeah. a legend. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to dig deeper That's into this. We'll have to ask one of these people what it was, uh, what the course was like in two thousand eight. Yes, somebody who was. Yeah, I'd be very curious. Um, that if, if it is six oh two, that is an absolutely mm-hmm. incredible time, and I think that's a tough yeah. one to break. Yeah. Honestly, very tough. Um, but I think for women out there who are competitive, especially in these runs, um, I think six hours is is the target here. Um, I will add in the past couple years, I mean, probably the last five years, 6.30, I would say anywhere from about 6.25 to 6.35 seems to be the sweet spot for the podium um, for the women. And I think, yeah, in our returners, uh, Michelle Hummel is the only woman who has podiumed at this race, and she'll be back this year. And I think probably the most interesting um, candidate that we see on here is Jennifer Lichter, who just broke the course record at Broken Arrow. I think she is primed and ready to go for this race, and she's showcased that she not only has speed, but she also has a lot of the mountain strength that these races um, require. So I think if anyone's going to break the course record or even challenge it, um, mm. it's going to be Jennifer this weekend. I think she's she's definitely got what it takes. And we've got another a lot of other interesting names out there, like mm-hmm. Addie Bracey. I believe she's training for Leadville this summer. Um, at her last race, I believe, was Black Canyon, where um, so, yeah. was Black Canyon this did, year. But she, I don't think it was a great finished. result. Yeah, I think that might have been her last big race of this year. Um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what she does. She has, she always has very solid training. She lives in Colorado. She lives high, and she consistently puts in a hundred plus miles every week with good elevation gain. So I think um, I'm really excited to see how she does. I'm curious to see how she fares in the heat because that seems to be her Achilles heel in some of these races. But I think um, with her training and her history and her speed that she's definitely um, in the running for a podium position. Oh, so for Addie, since Black Canyon, so she got 23rd at Black Canyon, but since then, just at the beginning of June, she ran the, the Golden Gate Dirty 30 over in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And won that in a course record uh by about the 50 minute course record um the previous course record holder was amelia boone at six and a half hours and she went 539 so that's a really competitive race usually too yeah so i mean if she takes any of that into speed go that's yeah my question with addy uh, is gonna be um, fun to watch yeah she's done really well at races like north face 50 miler um, she's done well at Western States. She's done well at Golden Ticket races. I'm curious mm-hmm. how her skill set will play to a mountainous 50K because I don't know if she's had anything quite as mountainous as Speed Goat on her resume yet. Totally, yeah. Not a lot of hiking at either of those previous races. One interesting note about the women's field in comparison to the men's field 
and this is just from the interviews that I did, it seems like a lot of the top contenders on the women's side are, they're obviously taking Speed Goat seriously, but they have stated bigger objectives on their list. So with Addy, for example, it's Leadville. I'm sure we'll talk about Hillary Allen and like Alyssa St. Laurent, but like they have UTMB on their calendars. I don't see as much of that in the men's field this year. Like it seems like a lot of the usual suspects in the either sub ultra or 50k scene are doing this. And I thought that was interesting because typically you'll see an even distribution on both sides where like your Dylan Bowman's, your Tim Tollefson's, your Walmsley's are here to check that final box. But it seems like that's only happening on the women's side this year, which is interesting. That is interesting. Um, I would say with the exception, I'm curious if Michelle has anything on her calendar um, and Jennifer. So I think maybe these people might be more willing to go to the well if they have UTMB or a similar race on their uh, radar the rest of the summer. couple question marks for me here. Bridget Takuchi, who, as I understand it, is an Oregon State alum with Taylor Nallen. I think she's had good results in the past, and I think she was supposed to be at Broken Air, or she was at least signed up for it. I think I had her in my free trail picks. I think she could be interesting if if she lines up for this race. I don't know too much about her. I think she was on an entrance list for maybe Canyons this year as well. Um, that too, yeah. And yeah. I think she was definitely in the running. I'm curious because I think she's pretty young too. And I always like to see uh, the young athletes whenever they cross over right after college and come to the mountain scene. You know, do they take it by storm? Do they have some challenges? Um, I'm curious to see what we could. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the other like big name in the race, you know, is Hillary Allen. Um, she is running both races uh, this weekend, the 28K on Friday and then the 50k on Saturday her training on Strava has been pretty monstrous and kind of cool to look at and really break down like she's really leaning into being a pretty high level dual sport athlete on the like gravel cycling side of the world as well as mountain running um and I think that's really exciting um you know Finn Finn I listened to you know your pre-race interview with her and she's doing you know AM threshold workout on foot and then a PM threshold right. workout on the bike. And, you know, if, if you can stack that kind of intensity and still like want to get out the door every morning, I, 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 I have Hillary on my podium for the 50 K, even though she will have raced the 28 K the day before. On a side note, I think she's living one of the coolest fan lives possible right now. I know I need to <laughs> get in on that. <laughs> Her and Abby Hall leading the charge. Um, okay, Leah, I'm curious. Maybe we'll, we'll do a, we'll, we'll go around the horn here, but starting with you, uh, who is your predicted podium for Fantasy Free Trail? And then I would also add either any people on your watch list that could challenge for a podium spot, and then any question marks you have as well. Okay, so I think I think Jennifer Lichter will win. I think she kind of showed us what she's capable of at Broken Arrow, and I'm really excited to see what she can do this weekend. Also, I am friends with her on Strava now, and she put in a really solid like eight by one mile workout the other day at less than 540 pace for those mile repeats with 90 second recovery. So she's got some leg speed, and that was at like 7,000 feet elevation. So I think she's pretty scary. <laughs> I'm so curious. <laughs> Um, fitness is fitness yeah and like i do think like ashley brassavan was evidence of that last year like if you have leg speed running uphill is 
not going to be that hard for you. Um, I mean, it'll be hard for you at SpeedGoat, but you'll have an easier time with it. So I'm really excited to see what she can do. Um, I've got Michelle Hummel in second. Can't bet against her. And I've got Addie Bracey in third. Um, and then how and about then, like question marks into watches? Yeah, I so Hillary Allen's just a huge question mark for me. I think like the training Brett speaks to will lend itself really well to UTMB this year for her. I'm just curious how that plays out in a short, fast, hard race like Speed Goat. I mean, this is her bread and butter type of course. Um, I know she ran Gorge 100K this year, um, earlier this year, and didn't have a great day. And like, I don't even think loved the type of runnability that that course presented. So I do think this is up her alley more. Um, but I, yeah, I think especially with the 28K in her legs and then just the type of training she has, I think we'll see her shine at UTMB, but maybe not quite a podium position at Speed Goat, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I also think Alyssa St. Laurent is interesting. And um, I am a big fan of um, Erica Flowers. I know you had her on your podcast, Finn, and I know she's yeah. had a, uh, quite the history this year of getting into really solid running shape and then suffering from a head injury biking. Uh, I'm excited to see what she can do. She just sounds like a great all around person and just ready to see what she can get out of herself. Um, I think a dark horse is her training partner, Emily von Clem. Um, she's got a really, really solid resume at a lot of these harder Montana races like the Bridger Ridge run and the old Gabe 30 K the rut 28 K um, also solid results at Broken Arrow VK, and I believe she's on the 2022-23 uh, U.S. Schemo team, which is interesting. So I think she has a skill set that lends itself really well to stepping it up in distance um, at Speed Goat to the 50K. So I think she's going to be a fun one to watch that probably isn't on too many people's radars. And I think you mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but just to restate it here, what what time do you think these women are going to need to run to break into the podium so actually i'll ask you three questions what do you think is the winning time what is a podium time and then what would get you into the top 10 okay that's a great question um i think 605 will win it i think wow. under 630 for the podium this year um i think top 10 would be under 730 so i think under seven hours usually puts you in the top five for the ladies uh yeah, I think top 10 this year will be under 7.30. And I think, so this was my interesting stat that I came up with, was there's a lot of um, women that ran Black Canyon this year that are running. I think we have five or six women that were in the top 15 at Black Canyon that are lining up uh, for Speed Goat. And I think a lot of those women might be people to watch as well and kind of lend themselves to, like, the depth of the field. Um, there's, like, Natalie Sandoval, I believe she just had a top 10 finish at Broken Arrow. I think she'll be one to watch. Uh, Lauren Corey, um, Rachel Lemke from the East Coast, um, mm -hmm. and Shay Aquilano, and I believe that's it. Maybe one or two more, but I thought that was a interesting side note since Black Canyon and Speed Goat are nothing alike. I know. <laughs> Brett, how about you? What's your, who your top right, three? So I also have Jennifer Lichter to win. Um, yeah, I was I was at Broken Arrow and just like watching her just fly down the mountain and then come in and then for there to be a like decent sized gap before the next people came in and it, it was a really competitive race um, as as it usually is like it was just surprising I was just like okay this if you win Broken Arrow by any amount more than like a minute 
you're legit. So, uh, yeah, it'll be really cool to see how she does on a level up kind of course. Um, as for time, I think it's going to largely depend on how good second place does. Um, I think in, in her pre-race interview with you, Finn, she had mentioned that she had no idea that she broke the course record for Broken Arrow and was just simply racing the other people. Um, so I think if if someone else just pushes her to, you know, that low six hour or sub six hour range, it'll happen. But I don't know if there's a second person who's gonna wanna roll the dice quite that much at the beginning to force Jennifer to run 559 um, and then I've got to round out my podium I'm just going I've got just experience um, and you know years of ultra history so I got Addie Bracey for second um, I think I think if you are looking to you know win Leadville and be very competitive there you're gonna muscle out a podium finish at speed goat um, and then and then maybe my this is going to be my make it or break it pick for fantasy free trail is <laughs> I got Hillary on on third uh, third place for the 50k um, even coming back on slightly tired legs but you know if if there's one thing about uh, double threshold workouts it's that you teach your body to recover very fast so that's what I'm going to bank on there. Are there any other names that? Leah might not have mentioned that are on your watch list and or questions list yeah I got one um and it was like floating around in our in our in our group text is Cody Clevin who is this yeah and like so this is like I guess it's almost turned into the category of like if we just throw everything we know about the race out the window and just go by Strava numbers and like who's trained the biggest and the beefiest which is definitely not necessarily the the best metric for race success um this was the one that you know i guess brought up the most uh, conversation um do either of you recall what some of like the last two or three weeks were i it was big i think there was one of her weeks that was nearing like 30k vert is that right finn yeah and i'll tell a very quick story i totally on a whim, totally by chance, connected on a Sunday run with her yesterday and another mutual friend, Spencer Strom, who's in the men's race. And I joined them in the middle of a 20 mile run around Snowbird Mountain Resort. Like, I think like miles like six to 15. And I, we went up the Cirque Traverse, which is like the last climb on the course. And she was leading the charge and I was just dripping sweat and pretty tired when we got to the top of Hidden Peak. I'm like, wow, and, and you're running Speed Goat. And she's like, yeah. So A, she ran a 20-mile long run at Speed Goat a week before the race, which is interesting. And B, she just looked super strong on the climb. So I don't know what that equates to on race okay. day, but I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, Francois like did the entire Hard Rock course like the week before the race. So <laughs> not, nothing wrong with just doing what Francois does, I guess. I agree, though. She's interesting. And I do think, is this, this is her first 50K, is that right, Finn? Basically, first ultra. Yeah, I think that she's had yes. a 16-mile trail race under her belt. She does have a, she's run a 232 St. George Marathon, which is a downhill race, but um, she's fast. She's got leg speed, so she's in that category, like you mentioned, of like the Ashleys of the world and Jennifer's of the world who train like that. Mm-hmm. 
that will be an exciting name to follow. So that's a good one, Brett. I'll give you my top three. Um, yeah, let's hear it. I've got Addie Bracey winning this race. I've got Jennifer Lichter finishing second, and I've got Hillary Allen finishing third. The reason I have Jennifer finishing second, and by the way, I'll, I'll preface that by saying for my top two women, both Addie and Jennifer are going sub 620. I think that Hillary goes sub 645. So I, I think that the race is going to be a little bit slower than Leah thinks. I think that top three goes sub 645, top 10 goes sub eight, but the top two women do something really special. And I think that Addie and Jennifer do that. The reason I don't have Jennifer winning the race is because um, I think that when you come off a course record at Broken Arrow and you follow that race up with speed go a month later, I think that there's still room needed for recovery to be in top shape to do anything close to six hours at speed go. So that's my only reservation. I'm just being a little bit more conservative in my bet there. I still think that she's so talented that she can go 620, no problem. Um, and by the way, in our interview, she knows the course record to a T. I think I mentioned like, is the course record on your radar? And I was like scrambling to find the number. She knew the number down to the last second. So uh, whether or not she's going for it, okay. she it's on her mind, which is very interesting. Um, one other thing I'll say, though, is I think that this is good. I think I would like to add, I don't know if we've touched on this. I think she won the rut 50K last year as well in a very surprising time. And this was like the first uh, breakout race that she had that put her on people's radar. And I think believe like led to her sponsorship with her face right. last year. I think I heard yeah, that. On she did. She, yep. She ran 614 at the rut. Okay, so yep. I've got a question. How does Addie Bracey win the race? Like at what point, where is the move made on this course to win the race if you are running with someone? Like you're going to have to paint the picture and like predict it down to the mile where the move gets made for me, Finn. I think that after that descent into from Miller Hill or right around Miller Hill into Mineral Basin, you think that you've gotten the vast majority of the climbing done and you first-time runners you have to have that primary firsthand experience to know what it feels like to get up to the top of Mount Baldy. And I think that, um, like Leah, it'll be interesting if Mike decides to sit up at the top of Mount Baldy to watch runners coming in and he can like just give us that uh, after the fact analysis. Cause I think a lot of runners that were formerly feeling good are going to get passed there by um, people behind them. Yeah, I think so. We um we got these walkie-talkies for Western States this year that we never used. And I told him the other day, I was like, okay, we need to separate out on the course. We need to have the walkie-talkies. And I was like, we need to make sure nobody else is on our station and just be reporting on how great or terrible wow. everybody looks all day. Um, I will add, it's um, the course is pretty deceiving, too. Uh, you think, yeah, like Finn said, like you think you're done with the majority of the climbing. And like, even on your last final descent, there's this like 500 foot climb that comes out of nowhere. So I think if it is a close race, the race is going to be decided going up Mount Baldy. But I think the athletes still need to have like some energy in their legs for what's to come on that final descent because you still get hit with some climbing. All right. I think we have pretty similar top threes, slight variations, but it's going to be very interesting. Maybe we talk about the men's race now. Brett, you want to start with... Uh just your general thoughts on the field and, and storylines and yeah so like kind of you know sc I guess like scanning through the top entrance I mean I guess for one on on both the men's and women's sides like it's pretty amazing how 
long really what I would consider the elite fields are. Um, and I think that's just due to the sport uh, growing and getting more and more competitive. Like I, 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 I feel like I probably could go further than, you know, 50 or 75 names down the list and I'll continue to find people who were winning races. Um, I do feel like there's like a little bit more like veteran experience on the ladies side. Um, the men's like the, the, I guess the veteran name that stands out the most was David Sinclair, uh, who's won the race. He won it in 2018 was second last year in 2021. Um, I saw on his Strava though that he did tweak his ankle on the 11th and has been cross training on a bicycle since. So I don't know where that leaves him for the race. It really sounds like this is the type of race where you want to have two good ankles. Um, David though is very good at running this. Like this is like in his sweet spot for race distance and course type. So if his if his ankle works, you know I've I've got him as the favorite, but it's that would be like a total shot in the dark at this point since he I don't think he's done a run since the eleventh, um, and then a couple a couple other names so like uh, Brian Whitfield got fifth last year and on just like training block wise looking at it on Strava like looks super solid. Um, you know, I guess for every person's different, but it doesn't look like, you know, he's overreaching a, a bunch, you know, where I'm not seeing like 30, 40,000 foot avert weeks, um, but still plenty of climbing there. And then Caleb Olson was sixth at the race last year. Um, you run with Caleb a decent amount, Finn, right? I think that the list is a little skewed there. I think he got ninth, but he ran under six hours and um, okay. Caleb is super yeah. strong. He's I, I, honestly similar to Leah, just on a really interesting upward trajectory in the sport. Uh, it seems like each race he does since early 2021 last year has just been more impressive than the last. And I think he's going to be super competitive again this year. But I think he got ninth last year and ran somewhere in the low 550s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say like glancing at his training too, it looks uh, it just looks really solid and consistent this year. Like nothing crazy, but good vert good mileage and like just his strava is just a beautiful graph right now so i think if uh he comes into the race like nice and tapered he's he's gonna do something special totally yeah and then i got adam loomis written down so he won the bear last year right so Mm -hmm. um i don't know if he would consider himself more of a hundred mile specialist and this is dropping down more so in distance uh but i feel like that kind of strength would definitely help on a course like this um and then there was a couple couple names, you know, people that you had uh, interviewed as well pre-race, Finn, um, like Jackson Cole, who had run at Adams State, um, kind of somewhat newcomer to the trail scene, you know, seems to be going more all in on it. Um, you know, it's, again, just kind of like really interesting and fascinating to see when you get like top level track and cross country type talent switching over to the trails. Um, how well that converts you know the other person was uh, joe defeo um who was a nau alum living in flag training with some of flags best but what do you got during during our interview he was wearing a coconino cowboys t-shirt 
and said yeah. that he had been under the tutelage of Eric Sensman and Stephen Kirsch and Walmsley and Tim Frerichs. So he's drinking the Coconino Cowboy Kool-Aid. I think he's spent a lot of time in the canyon and yeah. um, we all know the canyon makes cowboys. So does that translate to speed go? I mean, yeah, if, if he's been properly, uh, you know, hazed in, that, that's like a Jared Hazen joke, I think. Um, (laughs) and they and they accepted and they gave him a shirt i mean he must be legit and then other name that i saw that this one just stood out and i think it is the right person is chad hall that is ryan hall's little brother um he was really really good in high school a california state champ Pretty good in college, got into triathlons and I think cycling for a while. Um, and then as far as I could tell, just has one trail result, which is second at the Pikes Peak Half Marathon. Last year, I'm not necessarily expecting him to be up in contention, but it would be really exciting if someone with those kinds of running genes does go more in on the sort of trail thing because that's just something I would love to see because he was a couple years older than me I remember watching him in high school being like like this bird this is the fastest this is the fast person alive that might be the Strava find of the week Brett I'll come back to you in a second for your picks but Leah are there any other interesting storylines or people in the men's field that stick out to you yeah I think uh, Morgan Elliott he's really interesting to me um, so he has a history of just being like really, really solid. And I think he's coming into his own, especially uh, in mountain races. So just, what was it, two weeks ago now, he got third at the Whiteface Mountain Race. Um, I'm assuming just missing a spot off of a team. Or maybe he did make the team. I'm not sure how that race went. Um, also got sixth at Broken Arrow 26K after doing the VK um, and getting third in that the day or two prior. He's had a top 10 at Run Rabbit, um, top 10 at Bandera. And I, he first came onto my radar when he ran um, and won GDR a couple years ago. Um, so he seems like he's going to be really solid, and I'm excited to see what he does out there. Um, Eli Hemming, too. Did we mention his name? I He's just on fire this year, especially at the short-distance stuff. So I'm excited to see what he can put together um, on a Verde technical mountain course like Speed Goat. Morgan Elliott's a good one, and Eli too. But one thing interesting about Morgan, he has made a public vow to be fully invested in the sub-ultra slash 50K scene. He made that foray into 100 milers. I think with GDR, he was going for that ticket to get a place in Western, but I think his passions are right around the distance and profile of a speed goat, so very interesting. And Eli, of course, too. Those are two good ones. Yeah, I think Morgan's Um, stock is on the rise. Yeah, and I think... um sure is i think he's gonna be surprising this weekend i think this might be a good breakout like true breakout race for him i'll add a couple more storylines before we go to picks here I, I i did some math on the women's side there were only i think leah you calculated two returning finishers from the top 10 interestingly on the men's side we have five of the top 10 from last year returning to the race so uh, david sinclair adam loomis brian whitfield Caleb Olson and Zach Garner and one other interesting thing in most years if you ran somewhere around 620 on the men's side that could get you into the back half of the top 10 but 
except for one person in the top 10 last year, Zach Garner, everybody went under 554, which I think is one of the fastest top 10s on record for the race. So it'll be interesting to see just how fast that top 10 is and what it's going to take to get in. Um, because, yeah, that's that's super fast. Yeah, the depth, the depth is just, it's just getting deeper. That was, yeah, that was a great sentence. Um, so my picks are based off of David Sinclair not coming in with a healthy ankle. Um, just cause I'm, 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 yeah, I'm a little scared to pick him based off of his last week. So I've got Eli Hemming winning the race. Um, he's had a whole bunch of seconds this year and he's got to be sick and tired of that. So he's, he's going to win speed go. Cause he had second at Whiteface, second at the way too cool 50 K, uh, second at the broken arrow VK and 26 K. Um, like that's just, that's just way too many twos for this guy. So I got Eli winning. I got Morgan Elliott second. And then I have Brian Whitfield sneaking onto the podium for third. And bonus, I think Joe DeFeo is the close, the close fourth there, the, the newcomer to the Coconino Cowboys. Yeah, so I've got kind of similar, top two. <laughs> so maybe Brett will do better in free trail fantasy this time around. Um, I've got Eli Hemming. <laughs> I got Eli Hemming uh, winning, Morgan Elliott in second, and then... I had to go with the local contingent for my number three. I was, it was a hard battle between Caleb Olson and Adam Loomis, but I chose Caleb Olson. I think I totally agree with what Finn said. He's on this complete upward trajectory, and he runs, I think he runs just really smart. And I think um, he was second American at CCC last year. Is that right, Finn? And I think, not that he needed that to substantiate himself or recognize his potential, but I think there it proved that like he is in another league. And I think last year at Speed Goat, he probably didn't quite compete at that level, but I think this year he's ready too. So I have Caleb for third. All right, I'll give you my picks. And Leah, our mutual friend, Jimmy Elam, will be disappointed that I'm going emotion over logic here. But number one, I have Eli Hemming, who maybe, that's, that's a safe pick, I think. I think he's super strong. He's yeah. tired of getting second. A name that has not been mentioned yet is my number oh. two, and that's Garrett Corcoran, who got seventh at Canyons. He is a University of California Berkeley alum. He has 13.45 speed at the 5K. He's smoking fast. He's the strongest climber I've ever seen in my life. It's incredible. I think he gets second. The only limiting factor for him is his ankles. Does he get tripped up on any of these technical descents? Because um, I think he might be the best climber in the field. And then third, I don't want to put any undue pressure on him, but Caleb Olson. Uh, I, I, I'm picking him third, and he has the potential to be third. Whether he gets that, I don't know. But, um, yeah, for all the reasons Leah said, I, I'm, I'm, his stock, in my opinion, is very high. And I think, in addition to being a great runner, uh, he has one of the strongest minds in the field, too. There's nobody that I can think of that is more willing to endure pain and to do what it takes from that standpoint to be successful like I, that guy after ccc was totally wrecked because he gave all of himself to get where he finished i think it was like 17th overall and second or third american he just has a willingness to go to the well and i think that's rare so and this race requires that so i just what uh what kind of times are we gonna see on the on the guy's side are we seeing a course record what do you think leah 
I don't think we're seeing a course record. Um, it was really cool last year to see Adam Peterman do that. And what was really cool was he had no idea he was even en route to setting a course record last year when he was on top of Hidden Peak. Um, but I do think he's a lot of the reason we saw such fast times last year was um, because he went out and did his thing and people were just trying to compete. And I think that was a pretty historic race. And I think we're going to see the times, the top 10 similarly fast this year, I believe. I don't think we'll see a course record however, um, but I do think we'll see some pretty fast times. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. What are, like, what's a normal podium time for the men? A, no a normal podium time is typically high 520s, I would say. High mm -hmm. 520s. Okay. I think mm -hmm. we'll see very in line with that, honestly, this year. Like, I bet you we see a pretty close. Like, my, my feelings are we, we're going to see the women's side first place and then I think there's gonna be quite a gap to two and three but they'll be close I think for the men's race it's gonna be pretty dynamic and we'll see a top three even a top five that's quite close and I probably don't I don't think it's the decision for podium positions going yeah. to be made until probably the last few miles one name I forgot to include here I've heard his name floated around I don't see it officially on the entrance list but Michelino Sanseri who has won this race in the past he ran like 514 I think back in 2019 Everyone, I've heard multiple people tell me that he's running. I don't see his name on the list. Um, no. I guess we should just state it for the historical record. If he's there, he's definitely a, contend a contender, um, strong dude. I was going to say, I think he was on the entrance list at some point. Um, okay. And then I'm referencing this July entrance list, and I don't think he's on it anymore. Gotcha. Um, and I looked at his Instagram. I'm not sure if there's any details there that show it either. So okay. unsure, but he's solid because, yeah, he did come away with the win a couple years ago. The one other hot take I have is I believe everybody in the men's top ten goes under six hours. That'll be my that'll be my hot take bet of the on the performance side of this race. I think the podium will be within five minutes of each other. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so last year we saw nine of the top ten under six. Caleb was ninth and he was five fifty two. Zach Gardner was six twelve. Um, and we saw the top we saw it actually it was pretty close last year, four through six. Cody Reed, Adam Loomis, Jared Hazen were all each a minute apart from each other. So I do think we're going to see a similarly deep field this year um, and see either those podium positions or like, you know, two through five very much decided in the last few miles. One other thing I'm reminded of, the last year's 10th place male finisher, Zach Garner, he finished well behind Caleb, 20 minutes or so. But if you want to see Jim Walmsley esque training circa 2018 2019 go check out his strava he's putting up like 100 mile 35k of climbing weeks again i don't similar to um uh cody what's her name on the women's side that we were just referencing who does high volume cody, cody. uh cody. i have no idea what that will translate to on race day but uh i just want to give a nod to his workload in preparation for this race because it's very clear to me that he's taking it seriously and he it's a it's a focus race for him so I'll be interesting to see, interested to see if he improves upon last year's performance with that effort and training. Yep, totally. Uh, gear question for you guys. How do we feel about poles at this race? Are the top people using them? I think the people who are using them are running UTMB later in the summer and wanting to get practice yeah. with it. I think most people aren't running with them. Um, 
especially if they aren't running UTMB. I think most people who are running UTMB use this as a practice run for mm-hmm. their packs, their gear, their shoes, their poles. Um, but I don't think we see a lot of people using them okay. personally. That's actually, that's a question I have for both of you. Do you generally think that in a race like speed goat 50 K distance that using poles throughout the race would uh, hurt your performance, slow you down generally? I mean, I think so much, I mean, I think a lot of that's a personal, like I, I love using poles cause, uh, you know, I, I skied a ton when I was a kid. So like, it, like, like even descending, holding poles, like it feels really natural. And I really, I seem to get a lot of benefit. Like my, my posture is horrible when I hike without poles. So the poles really keep me a little bit straighter and like it engages that kinetic chain a little bit better. And I'm able to put a lot more power into the ground, uh, when I'm hiking with poles. Um, but like, they're all just like one more thing to carry and get in the way which is definitely their biggest downside um yeah and it seems like mountainous 50k racing at the front most are not going to but you know like 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 david sinclair like he probably feels weird not holding poles all the time from all of his skiing um so i i could see some people going for it but yeah kind of like you said leah most probably won't Right. And like, I think for a race like Speed Goat, they have a good advantage on the uphills. Um, these downhills are just so funky in Speed Goat that like, we didn't actually touch on Mary Ellen Gulch descent, which is a like four mile descent of just like riverbed rocks, like little baby head mm-hmm. rocks. Um, so I think having pulls on something like that would just be absolutely horrendous. Um, so I think you'd be like stashing them on downhills more than using yeah. them. Um, so I only, yeah, I think you'd be using them if you're used to them, like David Sinclair is and a couple of others. Well, winding down here a little bit, I should probably know the answer to this question, but I don't. What are the best ways to follow this race on race day? Do you, does anybody know if Speed Goat's going to be putting out a live tracker or if Ultra Live will have updates or? Are we left to whoever's out there in the field on race day providing like Instagram updates and whatnot? Hmm. Um, so I think if their entrance list is evidence of um, how they're going to be covering media, then we are going to be in the dark because I'm sure you guys all had fun sifting through a nice long PDF of entrance for this race. Um, so I would hope there's some coverage, but I have not seen anything in any of the correspondence yet about that and i know last year um at speed goat i was out there and treeline journal was there reporting and then um my husband mike and i were sending out instagram updates from the summit uh both times through and i think we were the only uh way of tracking the race last year was following us so hopefully that's not the case this year but i mean i'll probably be doing the same thing this year if anybody wants to so follow follow leah on instagram (laughs) for speed goat updates and or try and figure out what walkie talkie channel her and Mike are on. <laughs> we'll, we'll make a plug here too for Mike McMonigle uh, at shit in the woods on Instagram. He puts out great photography and there might be some, yeah, some good photojournalism at work there as well. It's going to be a good time. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun. Leah, I know you're returning for round two. We'll, we'll be doing a UTMB preview episode next month, but it's been a joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you for adding another significant layer of depth to our analysis and predictions. Um, yeah. Any, any parting thoughts from either of you before we, uh, before we go here? I just really hope you two can do better in free trail this time around. 
Well, I'm just going to copy all your picks. Shots fired. So I'll do just fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, okay. What place did you get in Hard Rock? The Hard Rock one. Me? Yeah. Oh, I got like 52nd, I think. Oh, I think you were 100 something. I was one. I was 100. I'm going to get into the double digits one of these days. Um, I was. Finn, where, where were you? I was 195th out of 402 so i was in the top half last race i was exactly the middle so i'm on my trend is upwards <laughs> sure i'm i'm one of those people that they uh really really simplify things for from a ui ux standpoint i think that anytime i sign into the app and i'm not already you know logged in and i try to make picks i i just bounce but I'm, i am going to make a concerted effort to uh to log in and put all of my thoughts and picks on the historical record here because yeah shout out to free trail and travis Longcar and dylan and all those guys are doing a great thing and i think it just makes these events so much more fun to follow and of course leah you currently have bragging rights but maybe brett and i can change